0: Hello, I'm Anthony Sana.
1: I'm Dr. Michael Smith.
0: And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast, episode 15, Medicine Wheeling, Native Wisdom for Healthy Relationships.
1: Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health.
0: Hello and welcome back to Fusion Health Radio, and hello and welcome if this is your first time here. I'm Anthony Sanna in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. This is our 15th podcast, and we're talking today about something that's um, very familiar and near and dear to Michael, things related to uh, Native North American wisdom. And uh, this is, I guess, one of the mindset podcasts that we're going to be talking about. Would you say it's mindset or lifestyle?
1: I'd say a bit of both.
0: A bit of both, okay. Uh, before we get into today's topic, uh, as per usual, let's give folks a bit of a taste of what they had last time, or recap rather.
1: The last episode we did was basically around therapeutic enemas, which included lots of shy giggling <laughs> as a topic. Basically, we just wanted to make sure everyone was aware that all disease starts in your gut. That's been in fact you know, since we were primates, and uh, that all starts around what's called dysbiosis, which is uh, um, an unpositive change in the variety of populations of bacteria in your gut. And uh, by using enemas, you're going to be able to correct that more directly because most of the bacteria in your colon compared to the amount of bacteria in your small intestine or, say, in your mouth.
0: The uh, upshot of the the podcast I found was getting help. And uh, this isn't complicated, and it's very powerful.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've seen some pretty miraculous thing happen, uh, miracles happen in my clinic. Um, there's neurologists that are basing their practice around therapeutic enemas now, which you think your brain, but you know, you're going to make a huge uh, difference doing that. And I just want to make sure if you have heard that episode or you're even thinking about checking it out, please see a clinician to make sure that what you're going to put in an enema is actually a really good idea for you because it can happen where it's not a good idea.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, one of the more um, uh, awkward <laughs> conversations we've had, <laughs> but definitely one of the most valuable ones. Uh, talking about uh, gut health and how that affects so many other aspects of uh, health, everything from emotions to clear thinking to clear skin. So, yep. uh, well worth a listen. To episode fourteen uh, today here, though uh, episode fifteen: medicine wheeling, native wisdom for healthy relationships. Um, do you want to start it off by? Sort of talking about the title, what are you you on about today?
1: (laughs) So as a person with uh, First Nations heritage, uh, growing up out in the bush without TV or radio, hunting and trapping and tracking as a kid, (laughs) that perception of life, you know, and the sense of uh, cultural wisdom, uh, spiritual practice is pretty near and dear to my heart. Um, There's a thing nowadays in kind of what you might call the New Age way of Uh, being in the world where New Age people borrow stuff from, you know, yoga from India, Buddhism from India, and then, I know, Taoism from China and Kung Fu and Tai Chi and Qigong. So the New Age is borrowing a lot of old age stuff (laughs) in the sense of, you know, historical things. And they're also borrowing what they can glean from, you know, First Nations elders and teachers and medicine people. Um, I do have to, you know, unclench my fist around all the appropriation in Hollywood and try to have a sense of humor about that. But so again, in the New Age sort of uh, scene, there's a thing people call the medicine wheel, And you're typically going to see it on the cover of a book or a poster. And in each of the four directions, you're going to see a certain animal and a plant and a crystal and a, I don't know, something. And uh, there's, I don't know, probably as many different versions of that as there are nations in the sense of different tribes. But in the New Age, we kind of take that as a very literal thing you know, I learned this from this book, so this is how the medicine wheel looks and, you know, sort of gives us a sense of, I don't know, knowledge you can take with you. And I'm not I'm not actually against that in the sense that it's evil or wrong. It's just not really culturally um, the way that indigenous people use that kind of wisdom and information uh, in the sense of it being literal knowledge. So I like the term medicine wheeling because it it sort of brings in the tether mind uh, you know, the distinction between a noun or a verb.
0: Mm. And then uh, a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about language and how that affects yeah. <laughs> one's perception around health. So
1: <laughs> there's a theme here. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: So uh, medicine wheel is um, something bolted to the wall and, you know, ideas fixed on that particular symbol, but medicine wheeling in your mind is something a little bit more active.
1: Well, I mean the traditional teaching around medicine wheel teachings uh, is that in life you need a spiritual compass so as a culture or spiritual tradition which i don't know that's a tricky bit of terminology but from an indigenous perception everything has to reflect nature because we're basically uh, inside the container between what's coming down from the sky and what's coming up from above and, uh, we have to trust that the container actually wants us to be here and it's going to take care of us. And that seems to be consistently true throughout the vast oral tradition of at least my people. And, uh, as long as we can keep trying to hone in on how to be as close to the center of that compass in the sense of the four directions, what's coming down from the sky, what's coming up from above, what's happening deep in the center of yourself, which gives us like seven different directions of uh, movement, then, You have a sense of confidence that you can move into challenging you know experiences in life and find the wisdom or the direction to move in that's actually going to get you through that situation and come out as a wiser person
0: the idea around the medicine wheel as i've uh, understood it or learned it in the past was uh, things that was always focused on um, kind of pragmatic things that each direction offered Um, Again, when you talk about medicine wheeling and how we're sort of part and parcel of nature, we are nature, is there still that sort of focus that each direction has a particular uh, aspect to health?
1: Um, Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just to, I think, be a bit creative as well, you know um so if we look at the north that's got to do with mind east is spirit south is emotion west is your body so i mean that just gives us a nice comprehensive beginning and that i guess it sort of implied that in general we should all be moving uh say seasonally deeper into the mind in winter and deeper into spiritual practice in spring in the sense of maybe Going to have a Vipassana retreat or um, whatever your actual practice would be, and then getting into more uh, emotional relationship kind of stuff in the south in summer, and then getting really clear about your your physical health, your unknown nutritional status, so your flexibility, your strength, and all that stuff in the in the west or in the fall. But then you can start to break that up and say, if I was to look at certain kinds of exercise, there's like a four directions to that too in the sense of cardio might be a certain direction, uh, flexibility would be another one, strength would be another one. And, you know, so it's, I don't know, the term fractal comes to mind in the sense that, um, there's patterns in nature and they have the same pattern across all scale. You know, the, the best example is you look at the way we image uh, an atom and it looks exactly like a solar system, which looks kind of like a galaxy.
0: The idea of the medicine wheel or medicine wheeling is as, as you're talking about it then, uh, I mean, the, Let's bring it back to the topic that they were talking about, healthy relationships. Um, it sounds like the medicine wheel is kind of a uh, a guiding element uh, in different aspects of my life and my health and my relationships and that sort of stuff. Do you want to talk more about how that all fits together?
1: Yeah, so again, if, if I'm trying to be balanced, I would be reflecting on, you know, am I moving successfully enough in the direction of the East in my life? That's going to be specific to how I would... I would choose to align to the east in the sense of guides or you know certain animal guides and things like that obviously specific practices i mean that's important too Uh, but it's just asking yourself every once in a while have i actually done any real work you know moved a certain amount of distance in this direction in terms of personal growth as well as being uh, aware and grateful of uh, the kind of spontaneous recognitions of you know things that come down from above or come up from below Um, in the sense of what we'd say which is what's coming down from above as my father and then uh, which would be what's coming up as you know from the earth as my mother the idea is to maintain a sense of being centered and learning to grow in a way that's balanced
0: and medicine wheeling as as you're talking about it is um the best sort of steering wheel on the ability to actually drive that way
1: Well, I mean, there's teachings in Taoism that are framed around a very similar perception. There's teachings from all over the world, you know, that basically ask you, you know, to ask yourself, are you living balanced and, you know, and in a centered way? And if you're not, do you have recourse for that? And if you do, then you can keep coming back to that.
0: Hmm. So is there, um, I was going to say commandments. I don't think that's the right word. (laughs) Is there like a list of things, or is there kind of um, sort of uh, tenets that you actually follow? Um, is that even a Is that even a question?
1: Well, I mean, it's interesting. The and this usually goes better when I can write something on a chalkboard because trying to hold a bunch of foreign languages in your head is tricky. Um, if, if there was one tenet in the tenet culture, it's said as "saana the harjon," which. Um, first thing is you don't know what the person has said until they're finished talking. Okay. Right. So in that language, sometimes it's, I mean, I bring that up sometimes just to encourage people to put that in as a practice, you know, like, Oh, maybe I'll start listening to my friends when we're talking instead of thinking of what I'm going to say, you know? So again, in that language, you're not sure what the person's said until they're actually finished talking. And in order to translate some of that language into English, you actually have to translate it kind of backwards. You mean from from back to front? Yeah. So um, I was to say, uh, the word is where it's going to start. And is the experience uh, of feeling very centered in the world and that everything's pivoting around you in in a way that's very, very beautiful. And It's kind of like those peak moments people have where, you know, wow, everything's moving perfectly around me and through me and that's amazing i always like to say it, it doesn't mean you're an egoic narcissist center of the universe everything's about me <laughs> i'm sure it could go that way too uh it just brings up that that experience of, of uh is a way that in the language you're always referring to the one you're speaking about so it would be would be that one's way of experiencing beauty or you know feeling blessed or feeling you know how amazing it is to be here and uh, which brings up another aspect of the language, which is there's no way to say I or you.
0: Sorry, there's no way to say. Um, <laughs> okay, my English brain here kind of having a hard time with that.
1: Well, I mean, because we're talking about relationships and relating. Uh, if I was to refer to myself, there's an in a sound we would put I would put in the middle of a word that would remind the person I'm talking to that I'm referring to me, right? But instead of saying me, I'm saying this one of because that's what that particular sound actually implies is this one of. There's another sound that implies that one of in the sense of that one next to me. Um, then there's that one over there in the sense of you or uh, him or her or, or them or whatever. And uh, I think that's the coolest thing there really is about um the distinction between say modern western english kind of experience and a more uh tribally culturally centered uh traditional culture like indigenous culture where what's important is your ability to participate as the of part not as about me or you Mm. because as long as it's about cooperation and connection it's going to work out
0: wow and the uh sort of did you finish that uh, that sentence nope. description there?
1: Well, I just wanted to pause to remind people that uh, when you're aware of the this one of experience, then what happens in relationship is always about the quality of the of for everybody. So, so we have Sa'an Nachai. Nachai is basically uh, not as a, a verb stem for walking along the land together. We don't actually have a word for earth in the sense of ball of mud in sky we've got word for the land we've actually heard people tell us about it that we've seen ourselves and uh, that word uh, na is actually the most common verb in in the language because for most of our history we just walked around the land looking for stuff to do right migratory peeps so uh is basically a way of saying someone who's really really skilled at that you know, in the sense of walking along and hunting or finding food or, you know, finding the good medicines or finding water or finding your way, you know, towards what you're looking for or away from you're trying to avoid. So a person who exhibits nak- nakai is like, you know, your mentor, your elder, a really good hunter, a really good teacher, a really good whatever. And that's something that in, in that culture, uh, I mean, that's what you want to be. It's someone of value. Right, for the people, not just so I'm so cool, I'm valuable. It's like, well no, I got way more food than I need, and I can give it back to other people. Mm-hmm. And sa'a is uh, Sa'a basically means the old people. Uh sa'a is uh a way of saying there's something unique and special about old people. Right? So if you translate it kind of more uh I don't know, front to back, I guess. <laughs> um just basically says Old people are amazing because they know a lot of stuff, and that's the way that they have found beauty in their lives is by learning and sharing all of this stuff. So in our culture, we don't aspire to look and behave like adolescents forever, <laughs> which seems to be a theme in the West. Um, our 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 kind of trajectory is to become an elder and a, a mentor and a person who has a lot to give back to people. Someone
0: of value to the to the, to the whole, to, yeah, like, to so, the community.
1: So your job is to, as a younger person, try and find all of those people, I would say, is, this is a bit of a mm-hmm. linguistic I don't know, joke, but the people who are in the high-ing really, really well. <laughs> and you go and hang out with them for 10, 15 years, and you know, then you might get to that place yourself where you are a person of, uh, of value to the people. Because, again, when you live in a this one of state, it's always about everybody else.
0: And I guess that's kind of a, um, as I asked initially, the tenet there is um, being someone of value or aspiring to be someone of value for the whole. Um, and that is, um, again, going back to the the topic we're talking about, you know, medicine wheeling. How do you see that affecting the individual, the Western individual me? Um, how's that going to affect me and my relationships if I'm doing that?
1: Well, I think the first thing is with that teaching is if you're in a relationship or a relation canoe, if you we're in a couple episodes ago. Um, you're, you're trying to be the person who is going to grow old with that other person in the way that it is about the of. If it's you and them, you and them and your kids, you and them and your kids and an extended family. If they have kids from somebody else or, you know, you do or, you know, because then it becomes this. Uh, partnership through time and it's about making sure the partnership is actually fun and working and you could even bring in the medicine wheel with respect to a, a relationship and pick specific aspects of each of the four directions that are qualities of relationship that you would want to attend to more or less depending on how the relationship's going.
0: Sounds like there's a lot of information to be had around mm-hmm. medicine wheeling.
1: Uh, well it's, I, I've never run out. I mean I did a course for some people a few years ago and i think we talked for like two hours every week for the better part of a year wow and i still was just like well i mean there's another way to look at this and i mean i guess i bring that up because the medicine wheel is this archaic you know thing from the past that is probably you know dead or really important or sacred in some way but it's you know like you said you can nail it to a wall you know, and when, when it comes to the the contemporary indigenous experience, this is where medicine wheeling is in a way kind of infinite because if it's contemporary, you're not always looking for something that somebody said 300 years ago. You're trying to take a paradigm and apply it to what's actually happening right now, which includes the internet and roads and, you know.
0: So the, the, the concept you just shared there, that tenant, um, are there others that are sort of easy to, uh, relate or encapsulate?
1: Yeah. Um, I think that's the only one that I think reflexively comes up around the idea of a tenet, you know, or a commandment or some guiding wisdom. I mean, this is from a language that does not have a word for belief. Okay. We don't have a word for spiritual. We don't have a word for religion. We don't have a word for shame. We don't have a word for sorry. <laughs> you know, there's it's like kind of a different culture. I mean, there's ways to express those kind of Experiences, but they don't mean the same thing that they do in English.
0: Mm. I guess it's my uh, my culture, my background, North America, uh, parts of Europe, you know, whatever it is that I've got mixed in here that sort of make me want to compartmentalize Mm -hmm. and make it logical and a bulleted list. Top tips that you can do in your relationship. Um, Is there more that you can share around how, how medicine wheeling is actually? a, um, a healthy thing for relationship?
1: Well, I'm going to share a couple of what we call medicine wheel teachings. Sure. And, um, which of reinforces the spiritual compass part. Uh, and if we have time, we can go into maybe something else, but there's two that always come to mind when it has to do with how to relate to people. Okay. Um, maybe before I get into that, I'm just, uh, feeling compelled to say one other thing. um, The grandmothers, who are kind of the wisdom keepers on a certain part of the culture, they like to tell us or remind us that in order to raise a child well, you only need to know one word.
0: And that word is? With. With. Yep. Tell me more.
1: (laughs) So a couple of examples come to mind from raising my son is when it was time to teach him how to tie his shoes, we went shoe shopping and we spent the afternoon both of us taking turns trying shoes on and tying them up and walking around and taking them off and trying other shoes and then you know we did that uh, I don't know a couple more times and through the the lateral experience of just trying on shoes i never had to have the experience of trying to force teach my son to tie shoes
0: he just learned that experientially.
1: Well, you, I mean, that's the tradition is you do things with people. You don't do things to people in the sense of t- t- telling them how to do things or what to do, what not to do. Another example of that would be, um, I know at a certain point, my son wanted to get a video game. So uh, we got one that we could play together. Cool. So it became this with thing. And eventually we ended up getting games as he got older that were a little bit more, I don't know, Intense or whatever. And then we would just take turns with the single player in the video game. In that way, uh, you know, it's never about video games being good or bad. It's about now you're having a chance to laugh and play and learn together in the space of something that now is, you know, I think it would be more hurtful to make your kid feel weird by being the only kid in the school who doesn't, you know, you're not allowed to play video games. They're bad. You know, and honestly, this is a bit of an aside, but I can think of at least 20 or 30 single moms. That I've treated over the years, whose kids got into video games and it became this huge wedge between them and their their child. And when they finally, you know, they're coming in to see me for whatever, and I say, you know, the easiest thing you could do is just sit down and play the game with them. And I, you know, can just feel the stares burning through them (laughs) in my soul in some way because they hate the video games. They're like, these are the worst things ever. I can't believe that, you know, they're allowed to do this or whatever. But, you know, their friends have it, so they can't say no. And when the mom decides to sit down with the kids and play, all of a sudden they're best friends again, and it's, it's all good. Yeah, it's being with. I think I would say if there was an off- opposite to with, they would be against. And children especially are very, very, very sensitive to anything that has to do with uh, a lack of attention. Uh, I mean, what do you do with your kids when they're bad? Put them in the room by themselves, Right. Which is a really bad idea, honestly. But, you know, we have this idea that, you know, mini banishments are actually going to help because it's the most painful thing you can do to a kid in the sense of, you know, soft punishment or something. And it's the same thing, I think, in intimate relationships. You know, if you're focusing on the with thing with each other, um, you get as many of those things as you can sorted out or established in your relationship. And then there's things that maybe your partner does that you're not so much into but you're going to be supportive of them doing those things because otherwise you're against that. Hmm. Even if it's just subtle eye rolling, which is never subtle, <laughs> you know, oh, you're going to go and do that with your friends oh. or, the or, or, or the whatever. And it's just to become aware that, you know, I mean, sure you're belligerently entitled to that opinion if you want it, but just notice that that's the opposite of with.
0: Okay. So with is just to be clear, the uh the native wisdom that's part of a healthy relationship the mm-hmm. against part is you are just making an example yeah. saying how with doesn't work or
1: yeah well the opposite of with in a healthy way would be shunning hmm. which is trying to get the person you're shunning to come back to the with or the cooperation thing you know and sometimes that's just you know they're behaving in a way where you're not really interested in with that or you're trying to communicate that you don't really like how that's going you just sort of stop paying attention to them. Right. And I mean, you're not doing that to be a jerk. I mean, they're obviously going to tell that you're more or less ignoring them, <laughs> but you know, it isn't about being against them. It's about trying to remind them that the cooperation's over here, you know, in the sense of why don't you help me do the dishes instead of set that and rant about, you know, your visa bill or something. Hmm.
0: Right. Um, you said with was one of the things mm-hmm. Do you have another.
1: Well, I think that that comes to mind as just sort of an umbrella. Good idea. And then there's one Medicine Wheel teaching. It's called the Four Colors of Time. And uh, I'll go through it, and then I'll try to make sense as to how that's really good for relationships. Okay. So with uh, Medicine Wheel, often we're going to be focusing on the four directions. So if I was to apply a specific quality of time and give it a color, I would say that in the east, you're going to have red time. Now, red time basically means get up and go, right? Emergency, you know, if uh, a person or a tribe suddenly went into red time, it's because some enemy is coming towards them. And it's time to organize ourselves around that kind of an emergency. I remember uh, raising my son and um, if we were ever late to like, you know, drive to drop him off at his mom's place or to get to wherever we had to be, if I just had red time, he would be filling up his backpack and getting all of his stuff together and, you know, Getting into the truck while I'm getting everything together and getting into the truck. And um, and he would actually call that sometimes, too. We're going to be like, come on, Dad, red time. And I'm like, okay. And, you know, we just collectively organize our, organized ourselves around being in a hurry instead of, and I'm sure you can imagine how many sitcoms. As soon as the parents are in a hurry to have something happening and the kids are, are, you know, dressing funny or goofing around or not finishing their breakfast. Not
0: on the same side.
1: Yeah, you because know, we're they don't want to be in red time right now. Right. So if you look at the south, that would be blue time. And blue time is when we're all sitting around at a potluck, you know, having fun playing music, you know, uh, sharing things. That includes the ceremonial things if you're going to like Sundance or Sweat Lodge or other things where we're all gathering together to share and enjoy. Because that's pretty nice. Blue time Mm -hmm. in the south relating to summer you know, or high noon, or the time of day when there's like the most energy and, and fun and passion. And then in the West, you're going to have black time. And black time is sort of the looks within, on no dark night of the soul uh, contemplative time when you may actually find yourself being, I guess you could say the worst version of yourself in the sense of how you use your talking mind about you. You know, we all have those little, uh, we take our sort of inventory of, you know, who we are and how we're doing in life and decide to get I don't know, judgmental about it a little bit or impatient or other stuff. And honestly, we learn quite a lot from those experiences. So obviously they're necessary, but, uh, that's just that quality of black time. And then in the North, we look at, uh, uh, what we call white time, which is the time of the elders, which is a place of wisdom, a place of, you know, vast patience and experience. And, um, there's a certain playfulness and uh, youthful delight that we find in, in, in a lot of elders. So it's coming back to that place where just that place where we recognize that being an elder isn't really all just about being serious and uptight and you know, you know I'm a wise person. Listen to me, <laughs> right? There, there's more of a humility and. Yeah, so again, we're just recognizing that uh, when you're in the time of el- elders, it's not about being serious or pompous or righteous because you're old and you know stuff. It's more about the humility and patience and kindness of a person who knows what it's like to be a kid and a teenager and an adult and you know how we go through all that stuff. So the value of the four colors of time is basically being aware of the time you're in call it as a dimension and the time you're communicating the person you're communicating with uh, is in. So if I'm in say red time and there's lots to do and you're in black time in the sense that for whatever reason, you're just caught yourself in a headlock and you're giving yourself a noogie for being (laughs) serious about yourself or whatever, you know, we're not going to really get along because I mean, I want to chop up the firewood and I want to stack the firewood and I want to start supper and I want to, you know, fix the chicken coop and whatever else needs to happen. And you want to basically just sit there and go, man, you know, I think I'm going to quit my job or end my relationship or deal with the stress differently. And, you know, as far as, you know, if I was a judgmental person in a hurry, you know, you're just being, you know, lame, you know, come on, and we got to do this stuff. Hurry up. And you're like, I'm not really into it right now. I just want to talk, you know, and you might actually take that experience, um, you know, even further in the sense of now my friend judges me because I'm not really into the work right now. And you know, now I'm not going to feel more shame and blame about myself and, you know, get more black about the whole thing. Um, it could also happen that, you know, I want to do firewood. You're in a really dark place. I sit down and end up in a really dark place too. And that's not bad. It's just to say we kind of influence each other differently. Um, I think ideally if I was you know, using that pattern say, okay, if I'm busy and you're really mopey right now, we should probably just not hang out mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in the sense of expect a certain result from each other.
0: Well, it sounds like, um, having the awareness of where one is at, uh, and owning it, um, is being able to do that without any kind of judgment is a, mm-hmm. uh, is a valuable thing. Yeah.
1: That's, and, that's and, what I'm hearing. and it's really, I mean, the big thing in indigenous cultures is really just about, uh, if there was another tenant, it would be always honoring the autonomy of other people. So if you need to go into this looks within dark place, that's obviously you're right because of your autonomy to do so. And it's in my autonomy to be busy if, I, if I'm still a busy person. But that way we can maintain a sense of awareness of each other, respect for each other in a relationship instead of impatience and judgment. So kids want to be in blue time most of the time. So we have to try and organize things in a way that they recognize, okay, we're going to do blue time from now until three o'clock, and then we have to do this red time thing. And that's usually, I mean, I would say probably in the modern relationships, thing, in intimate relationships, it's really the biggest uh, split is one person's in red time, one person's in blue time if you're not aware that that's what's happening, it just becomes being against when the person isn't in the same time or dimension that you were in.
0: Well, as you say that, it makes me think uh, in my own experience where I know that I've been in one state or another, you say time, if I can say the word state to describe that, mm-hmm. um, and totally being mopey or grumpy or whatever it is, uh, but still being able to be productive and helping.
1: Yeah. I mean, and I think that's again, finding the balance between all four.
0: Mm. Yeah, and it, you know, it, knowing how um, it's like. Okay, I feel like a bag of crap right now, but you need to move this from point A to point B. Okay, as long as they don't have to talk to you, I can help you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, and 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 have had that experience of it being uh, almost a good thing or a therapeutic to to be able to contribute something, even mm-hmm. though I am that mopey sob over there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, and if we were all sitting in a you know, a sort of community thing, family thing, and most of us are happy you know, doing some blue time, but someone, I don't know, I just pictured this you know, goth kind of teenager or whatever, you know, like <laughs> sitting in the corner, like, I'm not really into this. Um, To just allow that to be a part of the, the, the whole family experience without it being about you're supposed to be this, right? Because that's what makes most adolescents rebel is stop telling me who I'm supposed to be. Because mm-hmm. they're trying to find out by accident, because you're never going to figure it out any other way.
0: Right. I have had the experience where I've been in public and I've seen um a family mom and the kids and one kid is clearly emotional goth kid who is in a very dark introspective place and the other one is all sugar and spice and everything nice and I was very impressed with how mom was actually able to communicate to both of them effectively um, because of what she needed them to do mm-hmm. it's like um, you know instead of actually judging the the kid who is more morose and saying, why don't you cheer up? Why don't you be just like your brother? Blah,
1: blah, 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 blah.
0: It was just like, hey, this needs to be done. Can you do this? And just speaking directly to the the individual uh, without any judgment.
1: Yeah, and that's the idea. And again, with the idea of medicine wheeling, if I was to, I don't know, I don't do this every day, but if I was to, uh, I could spend a few minutes just checking in with, okay, what's red time look like today? I've got this much to do. Okay. I've, 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 kind of owned that experience for the day. Uh, how much uh, time do I have for blue time today? You know, I've got a, you know, dinner date or a chance to go to the gym or, you know, something like that where I'm just, you know, having fun and, uh, check in. Is there any need for black time today? Is there any like, uh, I don't know, cobwebs in my mind that I need to go in there and actually move around to be more, uh, present and creative and, and all of that. And if it does, it's like, okay, well, I think I'll come home early from the dinner date and spend some time in meditation or reflection, or I can come to the conclusion that no, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm actually pretty good with that part of my mental hygiene. You know, I I don't need much black time today, but at least I'm willing to include the possibility that I might need to go within and and, and do some contemplative work. And then I check in with the white time and go, okay, so being, you know, I mean, a medicine person in the sense of, a full-time clinician, am I actually in the space of relying on wisdom and patience and compassion and kindness while I'm sitting here talking to people who are all probably running between black time and red time about, I'm sick, I might die, i got to do something, help me out, it's serious, hurry up. So as long as I'm aware of those opportunities around my potential as a person in a day, then I in relationship with myself, it'll be a pretty honest good day. If I'm in a relationship with an intimate lover and I check in my little four directions of time today and I intuitively check in with them, knowing them intimately, I'd be like, hmm, I wonder if we should cancel the dinner date (laughs) and take care of that project you're, you know, grinding your teeth about. Right. You know, because then we're just being really aware of each other and aware of each other with respect to our autonomy and with respect to what we're actually dealing with positively or negatively because that's truly conscious connection that's truly conscious support and it's truly conscious communication in the sense of getting your needs met as well and it's a very simple thing to do which is you know i really got to do this red time thing
0: well the idea that that comes to mind for me when when you as you're describing that is that the um the inclusiveness that you talked about the grandmother wisdom of being with um if i hold that and i am in a black space or time or state, I know that I'm still part of the bigger picture that uh, how it is that I'm being is it's OK for me to be autonomous and, and be in this kind of introspective self hurting kind of place. But it almost makes that more acceptable if I know that I'm actually part of a bigger picture in a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm OK being uh, inwardly upset with myself. Uh, knowing that I'm actually part of this bigger picture and that I still need to contribute in some way. I still need to, you know, put the lid down on the toilet. I still need to cook dinner. I still need to do a whole bunch of things. I can be morose, but I can still be connected to that other individual.
1: So that's really the opportunity is that if we, you know, we don't have to use the four colors of time terminology, but if we have ways to communicate with each other where we're at, maybe why we need to be where we're at, and that we're doing everything we can to maintain a conscious awareness and connection to the other person based on where they're at, assuming they're communicating that as well. It gets really, really uh, conscious and present and uh, the intimacy is obviously much greater. Um, the trust and patience we have is going to be greater. And uh, and you kind of hinted at this. It's almost the most therapeutic thing you can do in the sense of uh, spending less time, you know, in your own space. To dealing with your own stuff because once you're really honestly connecting and communicating most of the time the cooperation just becomes i don't know kind of implicit like okay like you said i could be in a pretty bad place and still show up to help make dinner and you know then dinner's really good and i'm not nearly as morose as i was an hour ago and i feel like helping with the dishes because that felt like a good idea And now we're actually laughing and tickling each other and making a mess and splashing each other and whatever kind of fun things that happen as the opportunity towards blue time comes back hmm so by being focused on the four directions and coming back to the center of yourself and your partner being coming back to the center of themselves and then both of you coming back to the center you've created between you that's always what it's going to be about is how do we get back to the happy home intimacy place that's why we're actually together because a lot of us are going to do uh and it's almost like an instinct we're going to do the opposite on purpose you know we get this sort of weird intuition that you know i'm getting a little bit busy with my stuff and maybe I'm beating myself up a little bit about some things and my partner is starting to get nervous about this. So I wonder how far I can go with this before I get a reaction hmm. or before I find out, uh, what I can get away with, you know, cause sometimes that there's a part of our mind that I call it the bungee cord that likes to take the little weird misadventures In certain directions sometimes consciously sometimes unconsciously to create a certain result if it's conflict or if it's i mean i think the most obvious example would be someone who's burned out and busy and depressed um they're in that place waiting for their partner to come and rescue them and depending on the partnership that may or may not be a good idea (laughs)
0: no it just keeps coming back to the idea that um things need to be collaborative um even in the I don't know, Is it? I was going to say the typical North American thing is to I'm having a bad day, leave me alone don't bug me right now, I'm going to go over here and be miserable all by myself um, that that doesn't necessarily work and that doesn't necessarily need to happen you can be miserable in a relationship and still be connected to the other person and that it sounds like what you're talking about, that that's kind of the healthy thing as far as medicine wheeling is concerned, it's the way to um keep yourself included and in collaboration and in connection to somebody else is to own your shit. <laughs> um, just don't get it on anybody. Yeah. Wow. Who knew that I knew so much about native wisdom <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and a listener. I'm sure you are picking up more about this and thinking about your own relationships and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm not sure. Is this the kind of thing where you want feedback? Do you want people to actually ask you about relationship stuff?
1: Um, Well, it's something I end up spending a lot of time talking with people about because, I mean, that's your primary resource besides yourself. You know, if you're coming to see me and that usually means you have a complex chronic autoimmune disease because that's mostly my focus you're going to begin this huge therapeutic journey of changing your diet and your lifestyle and you know, what's on the kitchen counter for food and supplements and everything else. And your partner is either your partner in this or they're the person who is interfering with it or undermining it or doesn't understand it or, you know, misses their, you know, popcorn or something. And, uh, if they're not truly invested in the partnership in, in the way that I would always recommend people would be, Um, that's going to be the biggest stressor in my patient resolving their illness. So often I'm sitting down with my patient and the person who's, um, either doing the cooking most of the time or the person who's under, under, undermining the process in some way. And, uh, we just have a little sit down about, you know, the what, how and why of my patients, uh, you know, the next few months of their life and the what, how and why of how the other person can actually show up or get out of the way, uh, to make this as, uh, therapeutically beneficial as possible. Cause I mean, that's my responsibility, right? But inevitably, when those kind of conversations start to happen, naturally watching, okay, this, there's a pattern going on here between these two. Uh, that seems like a pretty big grudge, you know, in, in the sense of misunderstanding or other things. And we, we, if we unravel that in some way. Uh, then that therapeutic opportunity for both of those people comes up to relieve the grudge or the, whatever the dysfunctional pattern might be to at least, you know, get into it. And and that in itself is like one of the best vitamins for anyone who's trying to repair their health is my partnership is getting better. Even knowing I've been sick for years and not really be able to show up in the way that I used to. And, and we're all going to team up and really make all these you know things that need to happen, happen. And all of a sudden the intimacy comes back and the vitality comes back because it has a place to go
0: yeah it's that connection, that being uh, uh, in relationship as opposed to seeing the same person every day and going doing things by rote.
1: yeah, I mean I'd that, like the poker expression all in all in. yeah, you know, if you're not all in you're 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 basically just you know gambling. Mm. Uh,
0: and I guess that would be, as you described it there, the way that you approach uh, health and healing and it's not just about the mechanics of um, what goes on in your gut or your brain or your body. it's the bigger thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, I mean, the biggest thing in, in my experience is if I'm not in a relationship, it's about, should I get into one or do I want to stay out of one? Or am I just going to, you know, fool around or what? Or if I'm in one, you know, then I'm thinking about that probably more than anything else in the sense of, because if I'm in love with that person, they're going to be the thing that pops into my imagination every time I'm not busy doing something. Right. So I might be naturally thinking about, um, you know, what we're going to do together next or, you know, whatever is the mind place to think. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I, if, if I, when I think of being in relation canoes or in relationship, you got to be all in and you got to be aware that it's the awareness of each other that's going to make it work.
0: So that sounds like a very powerful thing to be aware of is the sort of connection that we have to each other in and around relationship. You had mentioned that there's one other thing though.
1: Oh uh, yeah. So this is a, uh, another teaching. Um, and it can get quite in depth. So I'm going to do a, I don't know, a slightly abridged version. And I don't know if people want to know more about it. And, uh, they ask, we'll do a podcast more about that, but it's called the uh, four puberties of life. Actually, there's a, I think I did a blog post on my website about that. So if people want to check that out, it's on there. So we have the awareness that, you know, we're children and then we become adolescents which is like a different species. <laughs> and then we get through that and become adults. And then we're, you know, defined as adults. And then we hopefully become elders in, in the sense of the, the medicine wheel in the four directions. But in between each of those times of life, there's a puberty, a period of time that's on average two years uh, where you're going to become somebody else. Now, we all remember what it's like to go through puberty In the Western cultural sense that you're a kid, then all of a sudden hair grows, replaces and noses grow faster than ears and all the other fun stuff happens. And we all just pray that we're going to win at least some part of the uterine lottery around being, you know, attractive. But for a while there were gawky as puppies. So that's the physical thing. And then on a a psycho-emotional, mental level, you know, we're learning all these new impulses and um, responsibilities and other things that are actually defining pretty much who we become and what's important to us in life. So that period of time is very transformational and very uncomfortable. And that's in Western culture as far as we go. You're an adolescent forever. And honestly, when I look at like, I don't know, present politics and politicians, it's like, yep, it's a bunch of high school bullies just out there working out their insecurities by being bullies, yeah. <laughs> you know, wouldn't it be nice if elders were actually running the show? That's another podcast. <laughs> That's a bit political. So what happens for a lot of people around 28 to 32, sometimes younger, they had their second puberty where the way they reference themselves around confidence begins to change, right? As adolescents, especially in, in our teens, early twenties, we define ourselves and our sense of confidence based on our clique, group of friends the kind of music we listen to the kind of clubs we go to the kind of sports we play the kind of shows we watch the kind of clothes we wear and we're trying to tribe up in a way to to figure out where we belong and that's that's inevitable but then you know through your 20s everyone's finished university and now people got jobs they got kids all of a sudden we're doing so much less time defining ourselves by who we belong to because everyone's busy starting their adult lives, right? So, you know, again, around 28 to 32, people go through this couple of years where there's this huge kind of turmoil of, well, how do I know that I'll be okay kind of by myself in the world? And hopefully we go through that period of time and learn the skills, the better communication practices, the ability to, I don't know, imagine yourself stuck in an elevator with anybody. Power goes out and you're going to be able to actually meet this person take care of whatever needs to be taken care of, express yourself clearly, come up with ideas on how to save yourselves from the elevator, you know, without having to refer to anyone outside of yourself. And that's a huge beginning of adulthood. Hmm. But in our present culture, there is no model for that, right? Unless you find a mentor who can offer you um, advice by living example on how to be a better man or woman in the world you're going to be kind of scratching your head, trying to make it up, or you'll just keep playing out the adolescent version of yourself. I think it's interesting that in, uh, uh Western astrology, there's a period of time they call Saturn return that starts when you're 28. Hmm. I guess the orbit of Saturn is 28 years. So from the moment you're born, Saturn goes through its entire thing. And then it, I don't know, it hits its orbit. And all of a sudden, based on how astrology works, you're suddenly thrown into the abyss of self-reflection and, um, how do i live in the world as myself from you know the center outwards without having to deal with the insecurity and the uh, the shyness or the opposite of shyness which is hiding your insecurity by you know being overconfident or belligerent or righteous or whatever you know but it's just going wow that's that's actually a thing and uh, i think it's a really potent thing to be aware of and if you're over 28 35 or 40 or something and you're wondering why you're still I don't know, running around playing video games and doing whatever you're doing that the adolescents are doing, it's because maybe you haven't actually invited that puberty or you, it, it spooked you in some way and you just defaulted back to who you were in high school in some way. And uh, the invitation is to find a mentor and uh, people that are interesting to, to you in the sense of how to behave as you get older and just start talking to them and learning from them and sharing the truth of who you are until you're so aware of yourself and honest with yourself and comfortable with yourself, you know, foibles and all that you're not running your life based on controlling the fear and anxiety of insecurity.
0: I know that in my experience, um, I've done that with, uh, participating in men's teams mm-hmm. or men's you know men's circles men's support groups whatever you want to call them that and that's been extremely powerful because i've been in uh in relationship with these men ongoing who range in age from their early 20s to their uh, mid 70s uh that's one heck of a way to actually um grow up <laughs> it's to yeah. be, be in the presence of other men who've actually had a lot a lot more life
1: yeah i mean we have a practice in uh indigenous culture called raising each other up and you know that's where the 40 year olds are spending time with the 20 year olds Mm -hmm. you know and then the 60 year olds are spending time with the 40 year olds and the 80 year olds are spending time with the guys in their 60s and if you're lucky in your 80s you're going to find somebody around 100 who's got their poop together and you know seems to be making sense and uh i mean that's just implicit to the culture wherever you end up living you just naturally set that up
0: yeah so you mentioned um Four puberties.
1: Yeah. So the third one usually is going to come around 45, our midlife crisis. And I think why people, I'm saying this as a clinician, you know, with respect to my patient's experience, I think the reason why midlife crisis for men and women in our 40s is so intense is we're actually doing puberty number two and three at the same time because Mm. we're coming into it probably not as adults. Then there's people who come into it as, as adults and they have such a less, I don't know, Uh, Let's freak out in the sense of, I'm going to buy a Corvette and I'm going to get a toupee and then I'm going (laughs) to chase around 20-year-olds because I'm still a teenager, right? (laughs) Right. You know, I mean, that's a thing. It pretty much happens often enough that it's a thing. So let's say you did actually have your second puberty and you're pretty aware of yourself. You're coming from your autonomy. And around your mid-40s, you know, you've just spent at least 15 years, 20 years being effective in the world, hopefully. That, That doesn't always happen, but from a cultural uh, point of view from an indigenous cultural perspective, if you're still alive in your 40s, whatever your job has been, if it's hunting or tracking or, you know, fishing or you're the medicine person or, you know, you make baskets really good, <laughs> you know, you're a person that younger people are going to go to around that second puberty and say, I think I'm going to be a basket weaver. Can you teach me? So nowadays, that would look like a person who's successful enough in their work, their business, uh, and their lives, and in their family that they have the confidence and the generosity to go and join Rotary Club or uh, some other service group. Uh, there's, I don't know, the Lions Club. There's the Eagles Club. Elks. Uh, right. So there's always these, all these animal clubs. All these you can <laughs> sure. But uh, that becomes like the natural reflex is to go and take care of people who want to learn from you or just need your help, right? Because that becomes our kind of fulfillment of generosity, but still very active in the community. Uh, when you get to your fourth puberty, you know, or 60, 65, it's kind of in, implicit now based on the time you retire, is now you have the opportunity to basically sit there and with a lot more patience, guide the people, Right because if a 20 year old goes to a 60s a 70 year old the 20 year old's going to want to know what to do when how fast and you know how long does this take come on grandpa like come on I got to got to get stuff done so the elder's probably going to say you should probably talk to your uncle about that <laughs> but if a young person comes up to an elder with all that stuff and they have the patience to actually listen the elder is going to tell them stories that help them frame at least the context of what the struggle is really about and what they might actually need to, you know, learn next or who to talk to or time to go talk to your uncle. And I've, I can think of elders I've worked with in my life that waited, I mean, probably at least 10 years for me to ask a certain question, for them to go, oh, man, I've been waiting for you to ask that question for like 10 years because <laughs> <laughs> I'm watching you flail with this whole thing in, in your life. And, you know, not at a judgment, but I mean, it's compassion right you just watch people go go through what they're going through and then they finally share what wisdom they they have and i'm of course banging my head into the corner of the door going i should have asked 10 years ago my god
0: (laughs) but if you had have asked you wouldn't have been able to hear the answer
1: um maybe maybe not i don't know but i mean that that's actually kind of the point of it is when we get to that uh, puberty of becoming an elder in the western world i mean statistically almost everyone who's gets uh becomes retired goes into a significant depression it's Mm -hmm. like at least almost half people who are retired because they they don't longer feel useful you know and you spend all this time on you know i can't imagine spending all your time sitting there watching tv and not going insane but you know there's not much to do you know wouldn't it be interesting if we took uh, all of our elders and gave them the job of running daycares
0: i've seen that um (laughs) I believe it's in the Netherlands where yeah. they actually have a daycare.
1: Everything cool happens up there. I don't know yeah. what's going on. <laughs>
0: it's a daycare and it's actually um, built in conjunction with a senior's care facility.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that just makes sense because they, they have the patience to actually raise children, you know, without all the red time stuff being hurry up. God damn it. Yeah. You know, they're like, well, oh, please sit down and listen to all, these, all my stories. And everyone's like. Because that's how it used to be, right? If I got raised up by the elders. Yep. So we have these four puberties. So how this relates to relationship is that we're all kind of going through all of that at the same time anyway. Okay. Certain things trigger us, and now we're dealing with an adolescent issue. Uh, As we get into deeper intimacy in a committed relationship, um, that's going to push certain buttons around the the adult commitment thing. You know, like, this was forever? Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean... In the modern West, uh, given what we choose for entertainment, and I'm not coming from a place of judgment—I just live here—it's um, not a surprise that over half of marriages end in divorce. You know, because I mean, it's everything out there is—I'm entitled to everything I want. It's a—it's
0: uh, a Western mindset, you're saying.
1: Well, I mean, we're—we're we're, maybe marriage was is just something that no longer really is, is a, a relevant thing to our culture. You know, maybe there's, I mean, I remember reading uh, some science fiction books, Native Tradition and Science Fiction, all on the same podcast. (laughs) But uh, this author was always writing about, um, it was mostly sort of social commentary in the future. And one of the things that were really common in his writing was, you know, people would get together for a contractual period of time. Oh, you're really amazing. I really like spending time with you. Let's do a year. And then if we want to commit to another year or another 10 or whatever, if you have kids, you're you know, like by law committed for 18 years. <laughs> nice. And it doesn't mean you have to like live in the same house, but you're committed, you know, in the sense of what a marriage is about yeah, uh, in with in, in, in respect to kids. But uh, anyway, so when you're looking at uh, each other in relationship, you just have to ask yourself, uh, you know, what are they going through puberty right now? Cause they're acting really different. And if they are, you're going to have to let go of your particular manipulation and control of the outcome if you authentically want to find out who they're going to be on the other side of it.
0: Giving them room to uh, grow into something. Yeah. And doing it from a place of um, inclusion, maybe a place of curiosity.
1: I think it's just actual real love and respect Mm -hmm. if i'm with someone and i really love who they are i have to love who they're going to become as they become themselves and that may mean we get closer it may mean we end up separating because where they're growing towards isn't where i'm growing towards but that's i mean that's honest unconditional real love and respect and honesty
0: that uh, phrase if you love something set it free yeah Um, if it comes back, it was meant to be.
1: Yeah. So from a traditional point of view, it it looks pretty organized in the sense of, you know, every 15 years, 14 years, people are going to have a little freak out and become somebody else. And again, in traditional culture, I don't think I've mentioned this, but if you go through one of these puberties and everyone really notices that you're someone else now, you're often given a different name because the person you have been behaving as is absent and the person you have become to behave like is present.
0: Hmm. So um, I'm thinking of all the stereotypical movie native names where they <laughs> name somebody for, oh, no. you know, <laughs> that guy's running deer and he goes through puberty and all of a sudden he becomes Coach Potato or something else, right? I mean, it, it's, it's who he's become next.
1: So there's names you're going to be given, I uh, think, again, through ceremony rites of passage, uh, going through puberties and stuff. And then there's a name you're given kind of when you're a kid and that name has a changing uh, you could think it would be called a suffix, uh, as you get older. Okay. You know,
0: so whatever Hollywood idea I had around that is total BS. Uh,
1: well, it's, it's kind of funny around, I mean, native names that you see in Hollywood are usually kind of like something you would, if you were to start bragging about yourself, you would call yourself that. Okay. And I was really appreciating the, the, when the movie dances with wolves came out cause you know, it was at least they had people speaking the language, it actually learning the language. Um, and that he got his name because it was something that was cool, but funny. Mm -hmm. Right. So here's this cowboy guy and he's, you know, play fighting with his, his wolf and, you know, the the people watch him and say, well, that's a good name because it's something that, you know, has to do with a deeper connection with nature, but it's also something you can tease them about, Mm. you know, I think I mentioned this on an earlier podcast, but, uh, there's a really famous guy, um, his name is crazy horse. And that's actually not his name. His name is His horse must be crazy, oh, because he, as a young man, every time they went, and this was a pretty intense period of time for his people, because the cavalry was trying to wipe them out. You know, so every time they faced the cavalry, this young guy would just run headlong, making everyone follow him, because otherwise, you know, it's, you're just going to watch your nephew get killed. And you know that that was his whole thing was, you know, it's called Tokahe. it means, you know, always go first. You know, you you know, you come up with some really cool, you know, tough guy name for being such a badass, you know, guy, and he's so cool, but instead they just make the honoring his courage by saying, yeah, well, your horse is crazy, you know, <laughs> we get ready and your horse runs up for the bad guys, you know, like a feral dog, you know, <laughs> so. It's a bit of a different perspective on that name altogether. Yeah, I mean, I've got names that are, I mean, you get names from different people for different reasons that honor something, but remind you of a particular foible you have, or, um, one I was given, you know, was, it made me feel really good. But at the same time, the person had noticed there was, uh, a particular flaw in the way that I was approaching us. That was, I was a pretty important part of my life. And they kind of subtly pointed that out by giving me this name. It took me like two years of like, I think they actually meant, oh man, <laughs> thanks for that. A <laughs> little lingering truth bombs that pop out later on in your life. And Ding, the light just went off. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's the thing about naming people is that it, it's about respecting who they are, how they come into being, and also making it a little bit funny. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole stoic, angry, grumpy, you know, Native guy on movies and stuff like that. It's like you should go to like a powwow reserve or friendship center. And I mean, have you ever seen a First Nations comic, like stand-up comedian? I don't know that I have. Yeah. If you have a chance, just type in, you know, in, you know, native stand-up comedy I mean, we're some of the funniest people in the world <laughs>
0: <laughs> well there you go yeah um this has been a pretty far-reaching conversation <laughs> yeah. but
1: anyway so there's the four colors of time there's the four puberties uh if you haven't gone through certain ones in your life i'd get on that as soon as you can so they don't pile up because if you're trying to do all three at 65 you're gonna be in you know, trouble
0: <laughs> be a mess yeah um and again all of this these these ideas this uh native wisdom around uh, relationships it's either relationships with others or relationships with yourself Mm -hmm. that we're really focusing on
1: yeah and the the teachings you can apply to the way you relate to yourself your kids your partners you know people you work with whatever and the theme is honor their autonomy grow up to be a wise helpful person
0: that's a pretty simple way to sum up been an hour and a bit (laughs) (laughs) awesome um was there anything else that you had on your list in terms of what you wanted to
1: share Uh, no those were the the two things that i think are the most poignant to uh the relation canoe kind of thing about trying to find ways to come back to presence and connection uh as sort of your go-to gambit and being happy with yourself with kids with partners right uh So the next few podcasts are going to be all about the brain. We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive mini series uh, on brain health just because it's been on my mind to try and do that. And because I just did this training in neurology a few months ago, what I learned, you know, it just feels really potent and to get that stuff out there because with the statistics around anxiety and depression and autism and, Obviously, Alzheimer's and everything. I mean, that's terrifying where, yeah. you know, the, the lack of focus on brain health uh, is leaving us. So we're just going to learn a bit about the brain, what, how it works, what goes right, how it goes wrong, and what you can do about it. And in kind of a, actually a kind of medicine wheeling sense, in the sense we're going to start with what it looks like in the center, and then we're going to go on a journey through four seasons In the sense of different kind of rehab processes you can do for different aspects of your brain. And if you do all four, you're going to have a wicked, cool, smart, healthy brain.
0: (laughs) Wow. More native wisdom and a little bit more science.
1: It'll be be mostly just functional medicine science and all that kind of stuff. But it it just felt like an opportunity for the listeners to just sit back and go, wow, now I understand my brain probably right. all of your friends' brains and why your parents are you know, going through what they're going through. <laughs> starts sneaking in some good medicine for everybody. You know.
0: Awesome. I just wanted to add as well that as we've been talking today about native wisdom, uh, the podcast that we had, um, about the uh, relationship canoe is kind of in that, um, genre as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, uh, the lifestyle and mindset aspects of, of health and how we've been talking our, um, equally as important as i see them as i've been learning and 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 uh, living for the past a uh, few years from ideas that you've shared michael so it's been uh, good to get it into it today again around the whole idea of inclusion and being with and all that good to happy stuff
1: and i think with the fusion health radio the more we can fusion in everything that seems to help people that would be a good thing
0: yeah absolutely i'm anthony santa
1: i'm dr michael smith
0: and this has been fusion health radio the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast. And uh, you can follow us and ask questions and do that sort of thing. The best way to do that would be through the Facebook page. Just look for Fusion Health Radio there. And if you want to hear the previous podcasts that we've done, our catalog, you can find that. Just go to iTunes and search for Fusion Health Radio. I guess that makes it a wrap for
1: today. Hope you enjoyed that, everyone, and uh, see you in the next podcast. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.